Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 66, the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, how to make photos, how to make videos, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. Now, episode 66, and we are not in the same place. And why dun, is that, dun, okay? Dun. Well, that is thanks to Mr. COVID. Mr. COVID. Yeah. Unfortunately, well, I mean, it's one of these things, isn't it? Um, my app pinged. We have like over here in the UK, we have an app, like a... a NHS app and it's pinked and it basically meant it means that uh, I've been close to somebody who eventually tested positive um so that means you know then immediately you have to isolate um, and all that kind of stuff so I'm currently isolating which is why I'm here and not there um but you know obviously I've had PCR tests and stuff since and they've all been negative so so far it's actually all good I'm just at home so this is part of what they're uh They've coined as the ping demic, right? The ping demic, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, they're going a little overboard with it, but you know, it yeah. is what it is. They're doing I, it for a reason. I mean, the thing is, like, it's you know, it was uh, it's probably foreseeable because you know, if you like over here again in the UK, you know, the, the the number of cases per day has been steadily rising. Although over the last few days, admittedly, it's been coming down a little bit, but it was like as high as fifty thousand um, positive cases a day. And what that means is, you know, if if all of those 50,000 people have an app and then, you know, um, their contacts get pinged, then all of a sudden that means there's literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who will, you know, get a notification and, uh, mm. and then have to isolate, you know, for 10 days. But I mean, the only thing that I found interesting really was that, you know, the app pinged and it basically said you have to now isolate for eight days. Um, and now, you know, and it is actually... It's ten days from the actual event, so from the from the time when you apparently were in close contact um, with somebody else. But it also means that for two days, you could, in theory, I mean, if you're if you yourself test positive, you could just go around and infect lots of other people for two days. That's a little bit weird. So I'm being attacked by my cat right now. Come on. Yeah, apparently cats cats can uh, cats can test positive too. Did you know? That's true. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yes, yeah, I blame it on cats anyway, the whole thing. Absolutely. So you um are you bored at home yet? Uh no, because I've been busy recording this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it has been a quite a quite a couple of days, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So um so we've been we've been sort of bulk recording um a few interviews and stuff, and it's been that's that's been keeping me relatively, relatively busy. And there's there's other bits. Okay, I still you know, I'd say edit some photos. Um and get some stuff out of the way. So, you know, it's it's actually been all right. I think I'm, uh, I've got a handful of bits I want to get done this week, and then I'm, I'm actually planning on taking next week off, like completely off. Yeah. Nothing, no work, nothing at all, if I can help it. Yeah. Um, and just actually have, you know, a bit of a break um, to myself, because frankly, I feel shattered <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. I did my first week last week of full kind of nine to five style um, work doing some teaching and it wiped me out. Absolutely wiped me. I'm just not used to doing it like that in that, you know, those kind of hours every single day like that. I haven't done that for so long um, and I'm still tired from it. And then, oh, and, and I had my first gig back at the weekend. Okay. Which was exciting, eventful. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, not from the audience perspective, but um, gear failures, oh, all no. left, right, and centre. Even 
done tons of rehearsals, tested out the gear multiple times, all fine. Of course, it's when you actually get to the gig, it decides, hmm, nope, nope, no, I'm not going to work right now. So my head, my head went yeah. for no apparent reason. Swapped that out. That was fine. First song, maybe 16th bar in, my bass just cuts out completely. No. Completely, no sound, not just dying sound, gone completely. Couldn't work it out. I was down on the floor trying to understand what was going on. Long story short, I had to bypass my pedal board, um, go direct to the amp, and it was fine. So there's something on my pedal board. Um, I suspect it was actually just a, a lead had come loose. Yeah. Pretty confident that's what it is, but that's um, that's a bit of tomorrow's job, um, kind of investigating that and working out what was going on. Yeah, see, that's the one but thing. I mean, I... Huh? Yeah, that's the one thing I really dislike about pedal boards, by the way, is this that there's so I mean, there's so many points of, of failure potentially. Yes, there are. And when you're at the gig, there's no way you can you can quickly work out what it is. You, know? you don't have to you haven't got the time to yeah. diagnose it there and then. And then what it know, means is like, clear and obvious. Yeah, and then if one thing fails, it means the whole the whole board is out of action, which is I mean that can that can basically totally break a gig, you know. Yeah. So Yep, yeah, ab- absolutely can. So it's so uh, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll work that out. I don't think it's anything major. Um, I'm pretty confident that's all it's gonna have been. You know, knocking around in a case and whatnot. It's just what the cables come loose. I'm I'm sure of it. See, I've gone um, the complete opposite way now uh, because I've recently started playing in a band. I'm um, just with a bunch of guys. You know, I'm just hanging out playing some tunes, and I've gone the the exact opposite way. Um, I'm literally not taking any pedals whatsoever. It's just a guitar lead and an amp. And that's it. God, man, you could walk to the gig. I could if I could carry the amp. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an old, it's an old valve head, like a two pad. Uh, not head, it's a combo amp actually. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean that's the idea. Really, is to just simplify the process, you know. Because apart from everything else, uh, a I don't want to have to lock too much stuff around, but also um, I don't want to set up too much gear. I literally just want to, you know, drop the thing in. Mm-hmm. Plug it in the wall, plug the guitar in, and let's go. Yeah, you know, so it's yeah. it's, it's also part of part of the whole uh, simplification thing. Well, it's funny you say it because I'm toying with the idea of um, the board. Like, well, there's two things. One, I'm I'm toying with the idea of uh, not having an amp on stage anymore because mm-hmm. I use in ears anyway. <clears throat> Um, everyone on stage uses in ears other than the singer, but he's generally out front in front of the PA anyway. So here's my bass there. Plus he could always put a little bit back through his wedge if he, you know, really, really wants it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm toying with that idea. So not needing to take an amp anymore and go direct to the desk, but via, um, my pedal board. Yeah. Cause actually there's, a there's, there's two or three pedals in particular, uh, plus my wireless unit that's on there um, that I use constantly, and that is my sound. Mm. It's more my sound than what the amp's actually producing. Um, so that would be ideal, you know? You know, it's it, it's so easily possible nowadays as well because the amp simulations in a lot of, um, you know, let's say multi-effects pedals or something are so good that you can mm-hmm. totally do that. You know, absolutely no no problem and you could even you can get a great variety of different uh different sounds, especially for the guitar i mean it'd be the same for the bass um, yeah you know it's not i mean it's not that long ago that you know that wasn't really feasible because 
you know, early M simulations just weren't really up to scratch. You know, like I remember yeah. the old. Do you remember the days of the the pod, like the Line Six the pod? pod? Of course I do. It's you know, it would sound good as long as you didn't actually compare it to an actual amp, and then it'd be like, <laughs> it doesn't doesn't actually sound yeah. anything like. <laughs> you know? But I mean, oh, yeah. that's that's come a long, that's come a long way. So you know, um, but it's it, you know, we we talked about this in the past, of course, about you know, simplifying the process, um, you know, in photography, uh, it applies, it, it applies just the same way, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's music or whether mm -hmm. it's, uh, whether it's photography or anything is, I think there's, there very often is a good reason for why you want to just strip down everything and just really simplify it and, you know, yeah. go back to, uh, the sort of bare bones, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. Totally, totally agree. Um, the the pedals that I use for my regular gigging work is 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 actually very straightforward. What I use for that, there's loads more stuff on my board that I use for other stuff. It just made sense to put it all on one one yeah. board. But really, I'm only using a um, yeah my wireless unit into a compressor into um, my uh, my Sans amp, mm. um, which is what's basically giving me that Ampeg sound, but through a GK head and that's really it. I occasionally throw on some overdrive um, for certain songs, but and a bit of chorus for mm. certain songs here and there. But that's just the odd song. I don't. It doesn't necessarily warrant having that separate pedal there just for that one song. You don't need it. Yeah, I mean, you know, my pedal board looks a little bit like I've put every pedal I own on the thing just because I can. You yeah. know, and so. It, it, it then it turns into like this little monster of a, of a pedal board, and it's like, what's the point? Half of them I don't. Well, not even half of them. Most of them I don't use. You know, I just I just like them. Yeah. Um, so um, you know, and it's different. I mean, when you're recording and stuff, it's different because then, of course, you can make use of stuff. But you know, the reality of it is, is that I mean, that's probably one. Um, this one overdrive pedal, which I can I could consider taking the only downside on that is and it's, it's like a little tube uh, overdrive pedal sounds really great and it's quite versatile um oh, the black star one yeah it's a black star it really does sound it sounds excellent um has to be yeah said. i know i've known a couple of people who've got that yeah it's, it is nice but yeah it's like it literally i mean it really sounds like a valve like a valve head mm. you know it does sound really good um but it's it requires external power and then you start you know then then immediately like now you've got the pedal and the power supply and then you need another extension and you know and before you know it you know just for the sake of like one extra pedal you're now taking a whole bag with you of stuff you know and another another jack to jack and all that kind of so it it, it just it's not just the one pedal it's everything else that goes around yeah. it then all of a sudden and so it's you know it becomes too much uh or it very quickly becomes too much of a kerfuffle. And it's you know it's not too dissimilar from um you know carrying X amount of different lenses with you when you go out on a like let's say street photo shoot or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, where you you only end up using one lens for the whole trip. Like question is why did you take the other And I three? think this this is the point, isn't it? It's there's there's a difference between taking stuff because you just might need it. And taking extra stuff intentionally because you know you want to get that shot. You know, it's so, you know, you, you need to be intentional, I think, about is what I think is what I'm saying. You need to be intentional about the gear you take 
yeah. with whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's music or whether it's um, photography. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I preach this all the time. It's the shooting with intent part. You know, that's, yeah. the, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we all fall into that trap. And of course, you know, I think especially, you know, when you're new to photography or when you're sort of, you know, you're kind of going beyond the basics, let's say, and, you know, you want to try and make things more interesting. It's easy to see how you might think, okay, you know, I've, but I've got this prime lens, this could come in handy, uh, but I'm also taking a, you know, bread and butter 24 to 70, uh, but I also want to take like the 14 to, to uh, 24, you know, for super wise, because that might come in handy. I might get a cool shot with that. And then of course, you know, who doesn't always need a 70 to 200? And before you know it, you've got a whole bag full of really heavy lenses, you know, just in case. When I think, you know, with some experience, you kind of, you get to the point where you go like, well, actually, I'm only going to take the 35 and I'm going to see what I can do with that. And that's my intent. Yeah. You know, um, and that's not to say that you might come across something where you go like, you know what, actually a super wide panorama type of shot of this location would be easy. And I come back with a super wide, you know, yeah. some other time and it'll be like, yeah. you know, but then maybe the purpose of that or the intent of that trip might be, okay, well, what if I only took the super wide? Let's see how much damage I can make with that, you know, on that trip. So I've done it actually. I've been to, um, I went, to, this actually goes back a couple of years now because way before COVID. Um, I went, I went into London and I, you know, I wanted to take camera. I wanted to do some street photography. Just, you know, I remember we went to the um, Natural History Museum um, and I thought about it, you know, first I thought like, okay, I'll do the typical thing. I'll take the 50 mil, you know, whatever. Uh, and then I thought, you know, no, hang on a minute. Let me take the super wide, you know, and let's see what I can do with that. Just the one lens and I could just limit myself to that. And, and I came back with some really cool photos. Yeah. In actual fact, the only photo of mine that ever got featured on the street photography um account on instagram <laughs> was shot with that <laughs> actually no it wasn't a street photography account it was a black and white shot again i actually can't recall which one it was but yeah. um that got picked up and then got featured and performed considerably better than any other of my photos ever did <laughs> so you know well, that's cool though that's cool though I never never shoot with anything super wide. It was just I really love that lens. I love the uh, I love it for uh, concerts and stuff like that. It gets some really cool super wide, um, you know, panoramic. Got really nice distortion on it. Um, yeah, it does have. Well, yes, when you go to fourteen, there's quite a bit of lens distortion, but it's not um, it's not as obscenely extreme as a fisheye. So it's just you know, it's still something. Um, I think. And and it's it's uh, interesting with humans in the frame. It, that's actually yeah. that can, it can get a little bit dicey, especially when you're shooting at at uh, fourteen, like super wide. You know, um, obviously, facial proportions are completely out of whack. You know, it, people look pretty grotesque. <laughs> you know, especially the closer they are to the lens. Um, but then at the same time, if that's the kind of maybe slightly farcical, slightly funny. Um, kind of photo you after then then it's perfect for that you know and especially like in a in a concert situation things are sort of hyper real anyway so 
you know, when you're, for instance, let's say you're really close to somebody. So talk about pedal boards. Like, let's say if you're, you know, if you're shooting, you're off the stage and you're shooting the guitarist from a low angle up. And let's say the guitarist has his, his foot on the pedal board, for example, then of course that foot's going to look huge. Massive. Yeah. yeah it's going to look massive. And then everything that's further away, like his head, you know, or the, or the hands of the guitar or whatever, it's going to look a lot smaller. And so you get this like, un, you know, unrealistic looking image of a person, but at the same time, um, it, you could also describe it as being like hyper real and it's sort of, it creates an atmosphere. So it works, it re- I mean, in a sense, it works really well for that. Um, but of course it works really, really well for architectural or like landscape stuff. Yeah, you could really. How good is Lightroom at um, adjusting for that distortion? Yeah, you can. I mean, to, yeah, absolutely. To an extent you can adjust for that, for sure. Um you know, it's, I mean, it totally depends on what you're shooting, right? Um, you may not want to. You've, you've gone for that lens for a reason, not just because it can capture more, yeah. but because of that, because of that distortion, right? And the, the concept photography is, I think, a really good ex- example of that. Um, but if you're doing a wide landscape, it might you might not want that distortion. So if Lightroom is able to mm-hmm. correct um, for that, at least to the majority of it, exactly. So. You know, like I said, it, you know, it's it does work in in a way. It works with people. Um, it doesn't really work very well with uh, with straight up portraits. It really, you know, it just yeah. looks weird. Um, yeah. Although there are, um, I've seen like dog portraits, for example, where again this sort of, you know, this kind of grotesque part of it um, really makes the photo, and it's it's funny, you know. Um, for architectural stuff, you will need a lot of um, adjustment afterwards you need to definitely compensate for the lens distortion mm. and that. Uh, but again, you can get some really super awesome um, images with that. I use that lens a lot for um, industrial architectural uh, imagery, actually, um, especially when um, you got to be a little bit careful on on the, uh, the lens angle and the height of the camera. You want to get uh, vertical lines as, as vertical as possible. So the thing with a, with a wide angle lens is if you're shooting um, a building, for example, you've got a lot of vertical lines, like you know walls and all the rest of it. So if you're um, if you're shooting slightly up, so if your if your lens angle is tilted, all the um, the vertical lines look like they're falling backwards. So you need to literally compensate with your with the angle of the lens. And then what happens is in the image they'll start to kind of become vertical again. So yeah. you want to make you know make sure that that's happening as much as possible. That's also very important when you're doing interior shots where you've got walls and corners, you know. Uh, you make sure that you're at the right height and then um, at the right angle to keep these vertical lines as vertical as you possibly can. Um, and then there may still be a little bit of, co- you know, compensation necessary in Lightroom, for example, um, because you also have the, the lens distortion itself to consider, which means that uh, lines tend to verticalize tend to bow out a little bit. Um, but it's much easier to um you know to fix that in post. And yeah. then you get some really cool images um that are straight, you know, and have and feature straight lines. Um and you can get really have you um annoyed. ever played around with um tilt shift lenses much? Not a lot, no. It's it's really something I mean I'm, it's something I'm interested in if they weren't so darn expensive. <laughs> yeah, well they are, aren't they? More expensive than Regular, regular pro glass because well, it makes sense. The optics mm. that need to be inside those must be stupid, stupidly good. 
Yeah. But um, it's a it's a really interesting idea um, of of how they work, and it's a bit mind bending how they work as well. But what yeah. what if, you know? Because you could you know, let's just say you're outside taking um, or you're taking an, an interior shot where you want those lines straight, but you would, in an ideal world, want to be about ten foot off the ground to take that particular shot to keep it nice and straight. Actually, mm. you could be on the ground and actually um, tilt or shift 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 the lens and actually it would it, it would be, seem like that but from a much lower yeah. lower hang, uh, angle the other thing i find really interesting about these is actually all cameras were like this years ago when they were bellows hmm. most of them they were that's they were tilt shift lenses it was a normal thing and that's just got lost it's yeah. one of the very few things that i think have got lost hmm. in um, modern modern cameras um but now obviously you can get get lenses for it and but no, I, I've never used one, and I'm really intrigued about about it, and can see multiple uses. But also from yeah. um, videography perspective, you know the old kind of <clears throat> taking a shot in the mirror. Yeah, right. You know, but you can be off, shift the lens, and actually you'll it'll, you can get it in such a way that it looks like you're looking straight into the mirror. Yeah. Um, and not that angle that you normally would have to go in at so you don't get the camera in shot. Things things like that yeah. could be would be really interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, there's so, a whole range of really interesting things uh, about tilted lenses. I mean, one is of course, you know, the whole um, you know, miniature photography type of a thing. But um yeah. jo- if you remember Joel Grimes shoots um a lot of his um really wide environmental portraits with tilted lens, tilted lens. Ah, yeah. Yeah, so basically what he does is he, he creates a panoramic image um, yeah. by shooting, you know, three images in a row, for example, either that means either up or down or or across, depending on what kind of image it is. And mm-hmm. then the final is really a, really a stitched panorama out of these yep. of these images, a lot of some of the with the silk It's it's something I considered with some of the car photography. That we're doing um, because you, I mean, to an extent, again with correction, um, you can you can do something similar with uh, just with like an ordinary wide lens. You you can, but you'd have to crop in, I guess, and to get the same degree of resolution. And well, see, if, the, the beauty of it is is that of course, let's say you've got um, let's say you shoot with a let's say for argument's sake, you shoot with a twenty-four megapixel right um, camera. Then of course, if you stitch three images together, you can get three times the resolution out of that image. That is cool, and that's really what that's that's the sort of the reasoning behind um, behind these environmental portraits is that you then you then create an image that you can that's so high res that you can literally blow this up to smithereens. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've done a few. I, I did a few of those when I went to Sydney to visit mm-hmm. my brother um, to get certain panoramic shots because uh, I knew he wanted to. Uh, wanted to get a couple of those to blow up onto canvas for his for his flat that he yeah. lives in. Um, so it's exactly I did a, a, precisely that, and um, they, yeah, yeah, they come out come out really, really well, really, really well. Um, I guess there's that degree of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess using a tilt shift lens for something like that actually just m- makes it so much just even simpler. Um, so you do is okay. We'll start having a right. We'll shift. We'll shift again. Yeah, yeah sure. We'll shift up, and it's nice, nice and easy. Keeps it 
keeps it together. It's a yeah. convenience for that, I guess, more so, than anything else. It, although it has to be said that Lightroom's um, panorama function is is actually extraordinarily good. Yeah, I mean, it really is is yeah. good. Um, I agree, totally agree. You know, even I've shot some panoramas with a drone that were actually panoramas stitched together out of I think twenty four images. So you know, um, and they came out really damn cool. There were huge yeah. files in the end, and you had to kind of crop in a tiny little bit. Yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, the resulting resolution was still phenomenal, and it's it looked perfect. There, I mean, you know, Just, as better say perfect. There were a couple of things that you sort of potentially have to fix in in Photoshop, but um, literally very little effort required to yeah. make those, to make them look good. Does your drone, the camera on your drone, have a panoramic function so it will move itself to take yeah. whatever you tell it to do, however many photos, however wide, 360 for for argument's sake, right? Yeah, it does well. But yeah. will it do it with the minimal amount of overlap? Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, basically. That's cool. So that's the, so the idea there is basically, you know, the, the camera, uh, the, the drone has a panorama program sort of thing. And it's interesting to watch it in the air, by the way, when it starts shooting the panorama, because it literally just, you know, starts with moving around. Yeah, um, that's cool. And then, of course, you end up with, again, I can't remember how many, let's say 24 image files. And then you, there's two options. Um, you can either let the drone stitch the, the software in the drone stitch the panorama together, or you can just export the 24 individual shots and then stitch mm -hmm. it together yourself in Lightroom or Photoshop. Um, and I've tried both, and it definitely looks better. The results are better, much better in Lightroom. So, yeah. you know, really all you do is, you know, you let the drone uh, take the shots. It does all the positioning itself. You literally have to do zero. You just basically put it into position, aim the thing, press a button, and off it goes. And it'll take yeah. about 30 seconds or whatever um, until it's done. So, um, yeah, I've done it with, need, I've actually done that with buildings. Use of your, we need to make your, more use of your drone. Yeah, it'd be great if we could fly it in more places in this dumb country. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need to get a smaller one that you can fly anywhere. I don't know how good the cameras are on them. Not, not quite as as good. I mean, to no, be honest, sure. um, so my drone is a Mavic Air, and the camera's cool. It's cool. Um, but I wouldn't want to go any any lower than that. No. If you know what I mean. Is it, it, does is it Mavic Air? Is it the mini version, they call it? I, I'm, yeah, I, I mean, the name wrong. of course, now there's the Mavic Air 2 and there's, there's a bunch of uh, newer models and the, cam the cameras have, have improved actually even since, you know, since I bought mine. But um, I have to say that there are great limitations on those small sensors and that's predominantly in low light. Like low light yep. is a killer for those. It's, yep. They're just not really, they're, they're actually, they really suck in low light, as we said. Well, um, I've seen, I've seen video footage from when it's been, it's not been broad daylight and it looks as bad, if not worse, than my old GoPro, you know, yeah. once that light has started to go. Yeah, exactly. And that's okay. And that's okay. You just you just need to know that about it. And that's that. It's not a big deal. That's its limitation. Um yeah. but all the other benefits are fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know, you just have to you know, you take that into consideration. Um do you remember when we went to to the Moors and we shot the um we we shot a version of the Hannah Cousins video. Do you remember that? Yep. Yeah. So that drone footage 
because the, the the sun was coming down, it was starting to get dark, um, and that drone footage was really noisy. Oh yeah, it was, it was, it was noisy. There was no sharpness. The resolution had just gone. Yeah, it the, was just, it was just, yeah, it was mud. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably then, the best way to do it. Yeah, exactly. At the same time, for instance, if you compare that to what I shot with the same drone um, over a year ago when we did our little video challenge. Which oh, is like it's a different camera. Yep. Yeah, it's like a different camera. Yeah, exactly. And that was because it was bright sunshine. It was mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. Um, it's performed completely differently. So yeah, it's absolutely. good, you know, it's good for some things. As long as you know where the, where the limitations are, then. Mm-hmm. There's one of the Americas, I can't remember now which uh, model it is, <clears throat> that has a Hasselblad camera on it. Oh, of course it does. <laughs> I guess <laughs> that's quite pricey. I'd like to try it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Why not? Why not? But I'm... Um... I'm tempted to pick one up, but I kind of like the idea of, I like the idea of having one that I can ju- I can actually fly anywhere because it's small enough. And so that there's always the option for it, even if the quality of footage that comes from it isn't quite as good as I'd want. But you still can't fly it everywhere. Under, it's, the, it's a weight thing, isn't it? 250 yeah, grand, you this, can fly anywhere still, provided you're not in a residential built up. Area, is that right? Yeah, as long as there are no other people around, basically. <laughs> no. People all right. I think it's houses. There, there's some laws because a couple of my friends have just got them yeah. and they've been looking right at it and they're, they're, they're flying it everywhere without yeah. any issues. Literally over houses as well. Uh, that's probably not a good idea. But you know. uh, Rightly or wrongly, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, so, I mean, there was a dude in my local park uh, flying a drone the other day. It was definitely um, a larger size drone and obviously he had no idea. I think he must have just bought the thing. He was just sitting in the, in the middle of the park and just... Fl- yeah, trying to think, and you're like, mm, okay, and of course, you know, there's always this like, I'm always tormented because on one hand, I'm thinking, oh well, there's actually nobody around, you know, it's not really gonna, yeah, you know, create that much of a problem. And the other hand, I'm like, well, but that's not, that's not, that's against the law. So, <laughs> shall mm-hmm. I say something? I, mean, I tell you what, here, oh, right. So, little story there. I made, I don't know if I made a mistake or, or something, but. Okay, what's your what's your opinion on this? So my wife and I we went to the superstore the other day, right, to get some groceries, and um, it was just before, like, it was half an hour before the store closed, right, in the evening, and as this dude shoplifting, blatantly shoplifting, and he's like he's in a in a medical aisle, you know, where all the medicines are, and he's basically shoving a whole bunch of um, medicines down the front of his trousers, his pants, <laughs> right. It totally not. He's not hiding it or anything. It's just like he said. He said it's really baggy trousers. Just pulling his, you know, pulling the trousers up and just literally emptying half the shelf into his trousers. Right? And, How are they not falling out the bottom? <laughs> well, until so my wife's like, "Oh, look at that guy." You know, he's like he's shoplifting. He's not even, you know, trying to hide it. Uh, and so I turn around and he clocked us. Okay. And so my wife was like, "Well, we're going to have to tell security." I'm like, okay, all right. So we went up to the customer service counter, you know, told them, um, described the guy. And then, you know, we thought like, okay, we've done our duty. You know, that's it. (laughs) Walking back. So as we're walking back into the store, the guy obviously clocked us and he must have seen us talk to customer service. So he must have realized what was going on. So he's walking, he's coming towards us. And as he walks past me, he goes, uh, what did he say? Effing grass. <laughs> <laughs> he just walked out. I'm like, 
to don't shoplift. Oh. I mean, you know, it's like, oh God. So, so here's the thing. Do you think moral? Do you think it was morally the right thing to do or not? Yeah, yeah, it was. There's, there are, there's no excuse for stealing. There just isn't in any circumstance. Uh, uh well, there are. There are some situations where I think it can be understood, if not condoned. That's a line from um, Shawshank Redemption. Ah, that's what that's well, there from. There you go. Well, see, um, you know, when, but well, it can be understood on occasion. Yeah. It can be understood if someone is, you know, perhaps very, very hard up for whatever reason is unable to feed their kids or themselves or something yeah. like that, and they steal a, I don't know, for argument's sake, a loaf of bread, you know, something like that. You can't condone that. You just can't. But you can understand it. Um, yeah, I think you did the right thing. I mean, you know, when oh, we, I think I would have came home. When we came home, we told my daughter. You know, she was like, "Oh, maybe you know, maybe he needed the medicine." Blah blah blah. You know, and I'm like, well, they were like skin products and stuff. So, uh, <laughs> you know, not exactly life saving. Maybe he was opening the moisturizer as he was putting it down his trousers <laughs> and squeezing and just. Oh, well, moist- <laughs> It's just you know, um, it's just a it's just a weird thing. Um, but I tell you what, you know, I, we bought a bunch of bottles, and I kind of thought like, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a bottle ready when we leave the store, just in case he's waiting for us. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was he just escorted off, and that was that? Was no, it? he walked out before they could do anything because he clocked. He basically clocked us going to talk to you know security. Um, or, or to basically no, we talked to customer service, and then they went off to find the security guy in there. And so whilst that was happening, this guy realized what was going on and legged it essentially. And he just kind of, you know, which is like, like basically just fast walked out of the store. So, you know, he knew exactly what's going on. So, it, you know, that leads, leads me to believe that that wasn't his first time, you know, it wasn't his no, first role, as I, got, as I say. So, yeah, you know, yeah, he, he does that every week, I'm sure. There was, um, you know, years ago, uh, before I moved to this place, um, there was a music store not too far from me, and um, about 150 yards down the down the road was a um, you know like a secondhand store. Would you call it like a ca- not cash and carry? Um, you know, well, like a char- charity shop, like a cash converters. Oh, oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. okay, yeah. and um, like a trade in sort of place. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, and I knew I was actually teaching the guy who was working in the shop. And he used to mm-hmm. tell me like, oh man, the amount of times, like almost every day somebody's trying to shoplift and the amount of times that, that stuff gets nicked. And then what happens is he, the first thing he does is he calls the cash converter, which is about 150 yards down, down the road. And, you know, he usually gets, like, he can talk to them before, like before the guy would actually be able to walk over to the, to the cash converter store. So by the time the shoplifter walks in trying to sell whatever he's just nicked, they yeah. would already know about it. Ah, that's good. <laughs> Gosh, just... People are just stupid sometimes. I know. You know, it's like... It's, I mean, why would people go down to the cash converter, which is several doors along from where they've just stolen something, save it and go to another one somewhere else? Right. I know their idea is probably to get rid of it as quickly as they can, but come on. Use your head, shoplifters. Exactly. What's the matter with you, <laughs> shoplifting people? 
<laughs> That's the sort of thing you see on, um, you know, worst worst robberies type comedy, you know, <laughs> like you've been framed style yeah. style program. Shoplifters framed UK. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Exactly. Uh, oh well. So what else is new? Um, well, we went on another little test shoot the other day. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Um, yeah. Uh, well, the, the the most fun part was driving the car that we were test <laughs> shooting on all day. Yeah. So uh, it's it's relatively rare, although it's not the first time that's happened. Uh, but we had a car for the whole day, um, and the idea was it was actually. Um, how can I put this? Well, we were supposed to do a different shoot, which didn't happen. as many because of the weather, I think. Um, and then, so as an alternative, uh, we've, we've, we worked this one out, which was uh, basically we had this car and we had it for the whole day. Um, and the idea was to find a location and to do a test shoot. Um, and we just had a lot of time just driving that car. Yeah. Great fun. Yeah. Apps. yeah I mean, it was just, Superb fun the entire entire time. So we, I think we had it for about ten hours, all in all. If yeah. I you know, give or take nine hours, maybe. And the actual actual, actual uh, shooting time was maybe half an hour. <laughs> maybe maybe forty five minutes. <laughs> yeah, maybe forty five minutes. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, we just took our time driving around, you know, scouting out a few different locations, not necessarily for use in our test shoot that day, but for mm. anything in future. Um, so, you know, you've got a few ideas of what's, what's out there. Um, you spotted a couple of, um, cool abandoned, um, sort of parking areas and whatnot or garages and so forth. But, um, clearly they were on private land of some description and were all locked off. So you couldn't actually get into them, which was quite frustrating. But, um, yeah, that was, yeah, that was really, that seemed slightly over the top, I have to say. Hmm. Um, there were at least, well, all in, I think we found three of those areas and they were all like, no, three or four of those areas that were all completely fenced off so we couldn't get in. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's nothing there. It's literally open space, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Such a shame. Wasted land. And literally Bast wasted land. some of it. Yeah. Literally wasted land. Yeah. Oh, well. So but it was good to good to see them, know that they're there. Um, you know, perhaps there's a shoot that we really want to do there in the future and we can always find out who who to talk to to perhaps get it open. That'd be Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the cynic in me would say like, oh, why didn't you, you know, get permission? Which uh, To which I would say, yes, if we had thought about it in advance, yes. <laughs> it would have been possible. Um, as, it, as it were, we, um, we literally just arranged the car like pretty much the night before and then, you know, picked it up and it just, yeah. Spent no, it was always going to be a um, just head out and see what happens type yeah. type day, right? Yeah, um, we actually got the kind of shot that we wanted to get um, in the end, which was cool. Um, and I just, I actually had a brief look at it, and it's yeah, it's definitely looking good. Yeah, yeah, good, good. I'm looking forward to looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, there's definitely um, a, you know, if it's edited in time, it may even pop up now, but it may not. Because it may not be done in time for this edit. Exactly. Surprises all around for all of us. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but that was interesting. It's, it, it was good. Um, uh, what did we end up doing? Two lights set up, I think, wasn't it? Um, uh, on that. Q 
key in a rim, um, which was good. Um, what was nice is that we got we were able to test out what we wanted to test out with that, um, but at the same time not worry about how lit the car was because it was in a dark wooded area. Yeah. Um, but that's not necessarily what we were going there to test out. It was certain lighting techniques for yeah. the, the portrait part um, yeah, so, of these shots, right? Exactly. I mean, I think the thing to remember is that, you know, with, with a test shoot, um, of course, the reason why I do a test shoot is because you want to solve some kind of problem, you know, or, or a range of problems, or you want to kind of dial things in, or you want to kind of, you know, uh, get a feel for whether your idea could actually work or not, or whatever, you know, and maybe you're testing a new technique or a new piece of equipment or, or you just want to get a, get an idea as to, I don't know, lens choices and this and then the other. Um, mm -hmm. and so in this particular case, I think, you know, from our perspective, um, there were a lot of things that worked out the way that we thought they would work out, which really just solidifies what we, what we what were planning for the actual shoot anyway. So that's good. But there were a number of things um, where we realized that what we had thought, uh, like a, um, a diffuser size was actually one thing. So, mm -hmm. you know, I realized that actually I needed to, you know, for, for this to work, I needed a much bigger, much larger softbox um, because it wasn't given, the, the, the softbox that we brought or the, the Octobox that we brought just didn't really give us the result um, that I was looking for for that. And that's mainly because, although we're talking about a portrait type of situation, because there's a car in the background or in the midground, if you want, um, it's there's still a need for more light to hit the car, I think. You know, and it was actually good that the the car that we that we brought was a relatively dark color because that's really yeah. the scenario you want to um, you want to yeah. really go through. Um, you know. That was that was one of the takeaways. If I'd really thought about it beforehand, then <laughs> it goes to reason that you know um, I could have thought of this earlier. But but really, just testing it out in the field just made it very obvious what was happening. So that's a you know that's a great takeaway for next time, um, or when when it comes to the actual when it comes to the actual shoot. Um, the rim light scenario really worked really well. I think you know that was all that worked exactly how it how it should certainly what i saw in the back of the camera at the time yeah yeah it looks really good um and what's interesting is that that was on its lowest power as well and some distance from from for, from me who was in the shot at the time it must have been 10 foot yeah so that was really very um very directional light um because yeah. the thing about a rim light is you know you often think like okay well you know you put a soft box or strip box on there um that gives you that really nice rim light going all the way you know down the side of the face down the shoulder and the side of the arm and stuff but actually for this particular type of shot um the rim light's really mainly important for uh, the side of the face and the cheek and maybe the you know the neck and maybe the top of the shoulder um, you actually don't really want it to go all the way down, and especially you don't want the the rim light to hit the car mm. that much, because then yeah. you end up with reflections on that side of the car. Yeah. Because basically, that yeah. rim light is on the far side of the car, so you want to you want to make it really directional, so it predominantly focuses on the head. Um, and so, you know, I immediately thought like a softbox isn't gonna do that for me. 
Um, so we used like a nine inch reflector on that and it did it absolutely beautiful, you know? So it's, um, so that worked out, that worked out really well, actually. And then, of course, the question is just like, how strong do you want that rim light to be? Um, and, what, you know, what I was thinking is that I really just want to have a touch of light, just a kiss of light on that, just to give it a little yeah. bit of depth. That's yeah, it. Yeah, a bit of depth, a little bit of separation from the car behind. And I, I thought it worked very, very well. Yeah. Yeah, and then of course I mean the other thing, and we know this already because we've done similar shoots in similar locations before, is is that it just stuff like that just doesn't work in a forest. Just does not work in a forest. Turns out shooting in the forest is an absolute nightmare. Well, it turns out shooting cars in the forest is an absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Shiny, I should say yeah. shiny cars. Um, <laughs> it's a real. I mean, that is a real. It's a ball breaker. Um, you get so much light coming through the leaves and through the trees and it just adds up in this awful awful a lot of reflections um on the hood and on the on the car itself it just looks terrible so yeah. that is is not a good idea no no and that's our next major problem to solve for that that scenario and yes um you know you can put polarizers on yes you can um block out some light and whatnot, but that's not necessarily practical to do no. in some of the situations that we're in, right? Yeah, and this is where location choice will become extremely important. I mean, this is it's just not going to happen in a, in a, like in yeah. a woodland type area, you know, which is, which is cool. Next time we do Robin Hood style portraits, we'll come back to that location. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get out at some point next week um, when you're out of isolation and <laughs> yeah. uh we'll 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 do another 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 shoot on that and uh yeah. see, what, see what happens out of my personal lockdown that's it your personal lockdown yeah <laughs> exactly exactly well why else um i tell you what we're gonna be at the birmingham photo show well photography yeah. show i should say um, so the the uh, photography show at the NEC in Birmingham is going ahead in 2021. It's going to be from the 18th to the 21st of September. Uh, we're going to be there most likely the 19th and the 20th. That's more than likely. More than likely. Yeah. So if you are in the area or if you're thinking about coming down, um, and if you're there on the Sunday the 19th or Monday the 20th, come and say hello. You'll see us lurking about somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and and one of our previous guests is um, uh, presenting. Um, two of our previous guests. Shows, isn't two, oh, two. It's right. So we've got Tommy Tommy Reynolds and who, who was the other one? I forget. Uh, Alex Benyon. That's it. Yes. Yeah. So Tommy and Alex are going to be uh, some of the speakers um, at the at the show. Uh, it should be really super interesting. Um, so again. Has that if... schedule come out yet as to when they're speaking? Yeah, it's on the website. Great. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're there for uh, for them. So um, if you happen to be at the NEC uh, in Birmingham on the 19th or 20th of September, then again, come and say hello. It'd be super awesome to meet some of y'all. Um, y'all? Some of y'all. <laughs> All right, New Orleans. <laughs> That's right. So, um, so yeah, I'm actually looking forward to that because I haven't really been to a trade show in a, well, it seems like a really long time. Mm. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'm quite excited, I have to say. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Quite excited. Especially after the like really disappointing news that the photo is, you know, indefinitely cancelled. 
gone. That's a shame. Yeah, that was our maybe they'll that was originally that. our plan for twenty twenty one was to um hop over to Cologne and go yeah. for the Kita, but it's not happening. And it looks like it's never gonna happen ever again. Oh, maybe there'll be enough of a backlash that they'll think think again in, in a couple of years' time. Yeah, let's hope so, because they're always fun. Um, I know there's lots of good reasons as to why it may not be the best idea to run something sure. like that, but it's all, you know, but from a purely from a punter's point of view, um, and from, you know, from a sort of, you know, nerdist point of view, um, it's always good fun. I've always enjoyed it. I've yeah. been, I've been to, um, the same, uh, convention center uh, in Cologne before. Um, it's, it's actually a cool place to hang out, you know. So yeah. anyway, so that's, um, that's that. What else? Um, oh, there's a number of, of really cool photography news items I've come across this week. Go on. Yeah. So the first one is, um, do you remember the famous picture of Buzz Aldrin, uh, Buzz Aldrin on the moon? And you can see a reflection in his visor. So this uh, famous photo taken by Neil Armstrong. Um, and in Buzz Aldrin's visor, you can see, I think you can see Neil Armstrong taking the picture, but you can also see um, part of the lander. And I can't remember, you can see a flag as well. Just all sorts of different stuff you can see a bit of the moon. Yeah, I, I remember the photo very well. This was the one taken maybe in Nevada or something like that, right? <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but so the cool thing about this photo is that there's, a, there's an artist called Michael Ranger uh, he's a VFX artist, and what he what he did was he he looked at the, at the photo and he kind of went, well, what if, what if we took that reflection and we literally sort of unfolded it and straightened it out, and then we could see exactly what Buzz Aldrin was seeing at the time that photo was taken, mm -hmm. and that's what he did. And it's cool. really quite amazing. It's actually it's very cool. That's cool. Oh, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Why has no one done that before? Doesn't seem all that difficult to do. No, true, and maybe maybe people have done it before, but he just uh, did it really well. It's it's quite again. It's it's just interesting. It's a different perspective. So That's has it. he just flattened the image out, and it's just an image, or has he um, created an image in such a way that it you you literally are seeing what he he would see with his his helmet on and all of that oh no no it's literally just the he's literally just taking the the reflection in the visor and then basically straightened it okay. out and okay, okay. corrected it and whatever and so you know but that's how that's, cool. that's basically how um how neil armstrong would have or how buzz aldrin would have seen the scene um because all we all we can see is this distorted image or this distorted reflection um on on the visor glass yeah. you know um yeah was was the flag moving or I actually, I, there two different honest, light sources. I'm not 100% sure whether there was a flag in it or not. There was definitely part of the lander in it. I don't know. I can come out of about 20 different conspiracy theories about that. Yeah. I once went to an exhibition at the, at the South Bank, actually, um, which is a moon photo exhibition, and it, um, it debunked virtually every single conspiracy theory to them. Yeah. That was quite interesting. I've, I've seen so many. TV programs and things like that related to it, particularly in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Um, you see, it was a big thing then for, for whatever reason. You know, there's things like the there's movement in the flag where apparently there shouldn't have been any. There's apparently shadows going in two different directions. The 
crosshairs that are on the on the cameras are it should always be on top of the image because it's just they're on the on the front that's the way they're done mm. and one of every so often the one part of the crosshair creeps underneath the yeah. image stuff like that um what else something to do with the blast craters something to do with the landscape they then superimposed out on some areas in nevada and places like that where something like that could be shot and they yeah. match up perfectly the list is endless yeah i think it's like one of the big <laughs> ones is this you know there's this famous picture of of earth basically taken from the moon and there's no stars yeah do you remember that one and it's like people going ah why are there any stars there should be stars and all that um but it's actually i mean this this one is relatively easily explainable i think it's basically if you set the exposure to expose correctly yeah. for the earth you won't see any stars it's really as simple yeah. as that yeah, it, it does seem as simple as that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. But if you if you're a non photographer and you just think, "Hang on a minute, there should be stars," you know, then you, <laughs> it all, all of a sudden makes for a perfect conspiracy. I, I imagine taking shots up there isn't all that easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Or shot on Nikon. Is it Nikon or Hasselblad? I can't remember. Hmm. Oh, the back there. Mm, don't yeah, know. I did find out. Don't know. Don't know. But yeah, that was a bit of a sidetrack. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we'll have a bit of conspiracy theory on here, don't we? So have you been watching the Olympic Games? Nah. I've seen, nah, I've no, seen zero of it. I've seen not even an image from it. Um, I'm not entirely sure why. I think the start of the Olympics is often a bit rubbish. It's not stuff I'm particularly interested in. It's like taekwondo and I don't know. Oh, I don't know, swimming and certain swimming things. And I was not interested in that really all that much. Do you watch football? Because I mean, I know you like football. Do you watch um, football at the Olympic Games? Not often. It's not often very good. Yeah, because it's not, it's not actually the national teams. It's like... Uh, no. Yeah. Are they amateurs? No. It's an amateur team, isn't it? I think... Yeah. I, I, uh, to be honest with you, I can't remember the criteria hmm. um, of what you need what your status in football needs to be to be able mm. to um, be part of the Olympic team. But yeah, you're not going to see Premier League players in there. Yeah. <laughs> World Cup winners. Uh. Yeah. I, I thought, um, I thought I watched the, the skateboarding thing that happened. Mm -hmm. I believe it happened yesterday. So I saw it earlier today. Um, and it was really, it's a little bit, it was a little bit dis disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit disappointing. Um, the actual, the skate park they built looks really good. It's amazing, actually. I mean, it's, you know, it's very, very cool. And of course, um, the athletes are incredible, albeit very young, like 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds. No way. Yeah. Um, but they're amazing. I mean, they're really amazing skateboarders. But it's a, it's a bit like, it's like a, it's like a time run. The bit that I saw, and it's like, well, this is extremely boring. I want to see them like do lots of like incredible tricks and stuff like that. That's the interesting part about watching skateboarding. But yeah. there, it's like, okay, you got to get get from point A to point B, and it's timed. And you know, and, and whilst you're doing that, you got to do like one trick, sort of a thing. And it's like, um, that's a really boring way of doing it. Yeah, you know, I mean, in my view, and that's all I've seen. So there may be other disciplines that I just haven't um, caught. But I I thought it was going to be more like gymnastics, you know, where they get points for different things. So they do yeah. their little routine, and then you know they get like maybe they do that too. Maybe there's another 
They're multiple different sort of disciplines, yeah, if you maybe. like, that they do. Yeah. So I mean, if, what I've seen so far uh, hasn't really, you know, excited me terribly. But no, I don't. I don't ever start watching the Olympics really until the athletics actually starts. Yes. Like that, that, that I, I'm interested in track and field. But um, the other thing that was quite, um, you know, was very different anyway was to see them, you know, compete in literally empty stadiums. Mm, I was mm. like, um, yeah, you know, that doesn't really have the Olympic feel at all. No, no. So, I'm surprised they were this close to cancelling them weren't they up until the last kind of couple of days before it was due to start they were very close to cancelling it due to covid concerns within the athletes well i mean the thing is like you know i'm very surprised it's, it's actually going ahead yeah. yeah then you could say the same about the euros that just happened yeah they um, should they should have never happened but they should never happen in the first place right <laughs> you know like nobody needs football competitions like that. <laughs> immediately, immediately, we're losing half of our subscribers. What? <laughs> I'm turning off. <laughs> <laughs> My word, you can't say that. <laughs> well, to be fair, actually, I, I saw some of the games. No one needs rugby. Well, now trust me, that's that's a sport that doesn't need to exist. And now my wife's turning off. <laughs> Along with cricket, don't need that either. <laughs> Yeah, cricket. I don't understand. That nope. is that's just something they've, I don't understand. They've just changed cricket. Have they? To call they call it. Uh, I'll get this wrong because I don't follow cricket. But I was just I just heard something about it. There, they call it the one hundred now. Do they call it Jiminy? Call it what? Do they call it Jiminy? Jiminy cricket. Jiminy. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> that's not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to throw some of those dad jokes in there. Come on. Oh God, no. <laughs> Please, I'm. I am. I'm going to switch off in a second. <laughs> um, yeah, they call it call it the 100. So it's 100 overs, basically. No, wait. Yeah, 100 overs, and each over has 10 balls in it, rather than I, I want to say six in a normal game. And they've just revamped it all. There's new teams and all sorts going on. New players from abroad playing over here. Total revamp so, to get people interested in cricket again. Wait, does that mean a that bit faster? Does it mean each match now lasts four days rather than three? Oh, yeah, exactly. Excellent. Oh, hello, cat. You joining us? <laughs> Please welcome today's guest on the show. Yeah. Kelly McCaddison. You know what? I, I, I've given up just putting her down. She might as well just... She's just there. <laughs> it's going to be a thing. Um. So, yeah, talking about the Olympic Games, I tell you what I always find really interesting about the Olympic Games, So, and that's got nothing to do with the actual sports in it. It's the fact that uh, most camera manufacturers use it as an opportunity to mm -hmm. sort of test new models, especially the kind of high-end, top-end kind of models, the kind of sports shooters yep. type models. Um, so rumor has it that um, you know Canon seem to be testing the R3 and Nikon are seem, seeming to be testing the, the Z9, which is the kind of the digital version or the, the mirrorless version, I should say, of the D6 with some mm -hmm. marked improvements. Um, and of course, those are like, you know, those are models that I would say in inverted commas, everybody's waiting for because they're like the top end um, yeah. camera bodies yeah. for, for both companies. 
I'm not even, I'm not really sure who really has that much use for those kind of cameras. Cause we're talking like, for instance, take the, take the Nikon Z9. Now we're talking, uh, the most likely retail price is rumored to be around the six to $7,000 range. Right. You know, so yeah, unless you're like a hardcore sports shooter, you know, I question whether that's necessary. Yeah. That is that is pricey, isn't it? That is pricey. What's um I've seen bits and pieces knocking about on the R three in particular. Um, but I actually don't know any specs about it. Do you are you aware of Um and not so much with the R three, but I'm I'm guessing it's not gonna be too dissimilar from the Z nine. And so the Z nine is rumored um to be a forty five megapixel sensor. Um you often find that with um, with top line, especially with you know sports photography, um, is that the the megapixel count is going to be a little bit lower, and therefore um, the the frames per second is going to be a little bit higher. So with this one, uh, I think we're looking at like forty five megapixels, mm-hmm. and top speeds can be at thirty frames per second. Right. Wow. Which you know for sports is ideal. I mean that's you know that, that's sounds yeah. great to get some pretty high res images, um, and you get a lot of them. So it's you know it's going to have two XQD slot, uh, card slots, which makes sense because you need the the high transfer speed, especially if you're if you're shooting at that megapixel count and and that speed. Um, you know, other than that, it's like sixteen bit raw. It's got all the mm. other. Any um, any word on the video capabilities? I can't. I actually can't remember what the video specs okay. are. Um, I think, and, and of course, they haven't really released the specs yet. These are all just rumors. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, these are like the, the more or less confirmed rumors, if you want. Um, because there was there was one thing a little while ago where they're saying like, oh, you know, it's, it sounds like a Nikon are trying out different sensors in this camera, like a 60 megapixel, 45 and a 30 megapixel sensor or something like that. Okay. But okay. It, it seems it seems that now everybody seems to be agreeing that, you know, the 45 megapixel sensor is... is the so they've just gone right in the middle. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, um, like I said, it's. I think it's. It's. You know, it's going to be a really good camera for what it is, for sure. Um, but if you're a portrait photographer, that camera isn't really going to do you any favors. I mean, it's, you're sinking a lot of money into something that actually doesn't give you that much of an advantage. You know. Mm. That'll be interesting. Um, I'm sure there'll be reports coming out soon of those using it at the Olympics. Um, One of the things that Nikon have said is that it's going to be better than a D6. All right. <laughs> Which you kind of expect because, you know. I should hope so. Yeah. That's that's how things go. So. What's the... Mm, oh, well, there you go. Thank you, Nikon. Yeah, the D6, I mean, you know, the D6 was surprisingly um, a DSLR. I mean, definitely the last DSLR in that range that they'll ever make. You know, yeah. th- this... There's no coming back to that. Um, yeah. You know, so. Well, at least they're finally making strides. You know, they were left behind for so long that they're. Hopefully, it didn't lose too many people um, to other manufacturers um, that actually now what they're doing will keep people, the regular Nikon shooters, happy. Um, yeah, they're still, we'll and you know, the thing is, like, they're still missing. Um, they're missing the R five. 
basically yeah. that's what they're missing um you know they've updated the the z6 and the z7 so the z7 II. that's all great well, what they really need is a z8 yeah sitting in there which would be sort of the equivalent of the r5 i guess yeah um and that's that's just a gaping hole there and of course it's a prime opportunity for for canon um in that segment because they're just you know they've yeah are, are we expecting the r3 to um trump the r5 yeah so the r3 as as i understand it yes the r3 is going to be basically um the the d6 equivalent for um you know for canon mm. yeah that's a completely different it's a different thing I'm expe- I'm almost like expecting the video specs not to be as good as the R5 because that's not the point for this camera. Right. You know the point f- well, the, the point for those cameras is like a high shooting speed so that yeah. especially um when you're shooting things like sports for example um that gives you an advantage when you can literally hammer out you know yeah. tons of frames. Um yeah. so it's going to be a lot faster than the R5 um ideally with a resolution somewhere in the same ballpark you know, about 45 megapixels or something. Because previously, mm-hmm. you got to remember that, you know, not too long ago, um, those kind of cameras would produce images, you know, that would be like 16 megabytes or something. Or megapixels even. Yeah. You know. Um, you know, 16 to 24. So they would be relatively low res in a sense, but you just get tons of images. Which is, which is fine, you know. Low res, well... <laughs> In inverted commas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, in inverted commas, because, you know, all of that's, of course, nonsense. I mean, lower <laughs> res than some other cameras. That's probably a better way to put it. It's more than enough. It just is. Yeah, it's, you know, it, I mean, we've talked about this, you know, several times. And it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, talking to guests um, on the show, <coughs> excuse me, who are like, you know, who are specialists in very particular fields. Like, for instance, you know, event, event shooters, for example. It's it really is an advantage if you have a higher megapixel camera because you can now zoom in, <clears throat> you know, a lot more, and you can basically look at the whole shot and then zoom in on a particular scene within that shot and make that the main focus of the image. And you have that advantage because now the overall file is a higher resolution. You know, yeah. that's very yeah. that is very cool. So if you shot something like that on like a twelve megapixel camera or something like that, then of course it you just can't do that because then things start to fall yeah. apart. Um, if you're shooting sports, you don't have to crop in like that. So, so, so it almost makes no sense. You know, nothing ever gets printed in a magazine or online or in a newspaper at that resolution anyway. So, you know, what is the point? So you'd rather go for, um, a camera that can produce more frames per second, uh, which of course will then fill your buffer up because all of, you know, all of these images have to be transported onto the car. So the car needs to be fast enough to save. The buffer needs to be big enough and fast enough <clears throat> to take 30 mm-hmm. images per second in. And, you know, 30 images that are 45 megapixels, that's a lot more data than 30 images that are only 12 megapixels. So, you know, all of that technology has to come along um, to make to make that possible in the first place, so cards have to, you know it wouldn't work on an SD card. SD cards are just not fast enough for that that rate of da- uh, data transfer. So that's you know that's that's where the the bottleneck would be with that. Um, so you know it's it's one of it's one of these horses for courses 
type of situation. Yeah, yeah. In me, uh, in me, God, sound, sound northern. In my uh, C70, they take, um, uh, I this is how little attention I pay to this kind of stuff sometimes, the faster SD cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're doing something like, you know, 200 um, megabytes a second, if not slightly more. And that's to be able to do 4K 120. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't be able to keep up. So, you know, but they're expensive. They're 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 not twice the price. They're more than twice the price of a regular, the fastest regular SD card. Yeah. More than twice. They, you know, 128 gig. Oh, I, I dread to think it's about 150 quid or something like that or more. Yeah. Really expensive. Yeah, that's the really same. Expensive. It's the same with XQD cards. They're just they're just considerably more expensive. Yeah. Apparently more reliable. That's what I say. All right. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've only ever had I think I've only ever once had a problem with an SD card. Yeah, I've never had one. Uh, I don't think I've had an issue. I don't remember an issue. But I was I always backup record anyway, regardless. Yeah, always have done. I mean, I had to, it, two... okay years and years and years ago. This goes back to like two thousand and actually two thousand five. I know I remember exactly when it was two thousand five. I had a little Canon point and shoot digital camera that was something like three megapixels or something at the time Woo-hoo. i know it's crazy um but i went on a trip to new york um and i went to a friend's wedding and then you know we stayed in manhattan and in new jersey for a while mm-hmm. and all the pictures that i took because the uh the sd card was corrupted was screwed god yeah it literally just it basically the top half of the image turned green or was missing uh, so it's completely unusable. So that was probably the only time, pretty much, that uh, that I had total SD card failure. But then again, that was so long ago that SD cards probably weren't as, as reliable as they are today anyway. Yeah. And that camera yeah. was shit too. So. <laughs> you know, it's, you have to wonder how much um, responsibility is on the camera itself as well that causes some of those problems with the SD card. and that corrupts it and some, some of those shots actually look quite arty especially the ones where like the top half was green it was so slightly pixelated and and green and i kind of thought I, I i know i was drunk at the time but nevertheless <laughs> you know that so what actually happened there's nothing wrong with the sd card all you did was you taped over a bit of you put a bit of tape over the top half of the lens and got a, a magic marker in green and just, just scribbled on it <laughs> I mean, what was a little bit um, depressing, really, was the fact that, you know, this is like a friend's wedding. And she actually, she emailed me a few months after the wedding and, uh, and said, like, oh, I know you're taking those pictures, you know, would you mind sending them over? And I just had to get back to her and say, like, I'm afraid they're all ruined. You know, I'm so sorry. I, obviously, I wasn't the official photographer. It's just that she wanted to no, see the images. No, no, no. So, yeah. Oh, well, it happens occasionally. Yeah. So that's one more thing um, I found when I was scouring, you know, the uh, relatively recent photography news um, that made me think a little bit. So let's see, you know, what you think about this. So there's a woman um, who was upset that a photo of her her mourning mother was sold on Getty Images. And so here's the thing. So the backstory is um, a photographer... Mm -hmm. 
took pictures. And do you remember the recent case in Canada um, where, um, like, literally hundreds of children they found they found sort of graves for hundreds of children at like oh, boarding yes. schools, right? Yeah. And so they put up, and of course, you know, shocking, uh, shocking discovery. And they there were some memorials that were put in place, and so. Um, this this lady was mourning at one of the memorials, and this freelance photographer took a picture of the scene, and then put it on a stock photo site, um, and happened to be Getty Images, um, and then obviously that photo was up for sale, and it you know appeared somewhere online, and the I think that lady's daughter saw it, and then you know uh, was very upset about the fact that her mother should be in a photograph at a memorial like that. And so she, uh, obviously legally, it turns out there's really nothing she could do because it was in a public space. And um, and so, you know, there was no, there were no, there was, there was no conflict with any privacy laws or anything. It was just almost like just a kind of a moral stance, you know, that she thought it was uh, just improper. Uh, for somebody to take a, a photo of her mother mourning at this memorial and then, you know, and then put it, they basically turn it into a profit-making photograph. So she just, you know, thought I was. Mm. Okay. So, so describe the photo to me. So the photo was one. Yeah. So the photo was, was literally part just. part of a larger scene? Yeah, it was just literally of of a, a lady in the in the shot mourning at this at this memorial. Um, the you know the, Getty's defense was that this particular image was in the public interest because the whole you know that whole scenario is of public interest, of course, and so therefore, yeah. So this image wasn't sold on a commercial license; um, it's for editorial use only. So you know you wouldn't necessarily see this this image in a in a commercial or in an advert, um, but I mean I get her argument that she thought it was you know it was disturbing to her to see her her mother or a picture of her mother mourning. Um, on the other hand, of course, mm. I guess there is a public interest in uh, and the law is quite clear on you know, when and where photographs can be taken. I mean, it's not too dissimilar in this country, of course, where as long as you're in a public space, you can take a photo of anyone. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. It's a, mm, you know, the... Uh, I don't think I, I see an issue with it, personally. Um, you know, there is a potentially a line between... You know how we're actually thinking about this right now, and is it morally right to share an image of someone who's, you know, grieving uh, at a at a memorial? Mm. That's a difficult one. It is a difficult one, but I I'm, I think I'm falling down on the side of I don't have an issue with it. Yeah, I think what's you know what's difficult in a sense is is that you know the, the law is actually very clear on it, um, and the, the problem with how we're viewing those uh, or, or the problem with like the moral compass as it is, 
that really shifts dramatically over time. Yes, it does. You know, I mean, yeah. we we were watching only the other day. We were uh, we were watching a video on um, on TV adverts from the like eighties. 70s all the way back to the 50s or something and we were shocked we were absolutely shocking some of some of the stuff that that uh people thought was okay to put in a tv ever nowadays would not only be completely unacceptable and we would we would uh, perceive them as more morally wrong but uh, some of them were just outright racist by modern standards yeah you know they were. full completely. on yeah. yeah completely racist so uh, you know, um, so it's a di- it's a difficult thing, really. I you know, it brings us back to something that we've discussed in the past. You know, where um, you know when let's say you're you're doing some street photography and somebody who who happens to be in a photo objects to you taking a photograph, and, and what do you do? You may be legally well within your rights to take this photo, um, but do you respect the other person's? opinion or attitude and and therefore delete the photograph or do you basically put your foot down and go like well no, actually i'm perfectly allowed to you know take this photo do you know what i mean so do you respect somebody else's wishes for privacy um or or do you just you know go with the letter of the law so that's i think it's a similar for me this is like a similar thing here i think if i was the photographer and you know and um and I would have, you know, and, and those objections would have been put to me. I personally would have probably taken the photo down, I think. You see, there's, there's an, the, the, the difference, though, with this one, and this is where actually you need to question the moral, morality of it a little bit more, is that there's one thing, a street photographer taking a shot of someone, in, let's just say in that situation of someone mourning and they're, they're perfectly within the rights to take it, and that being shared as part of just as part of a body of work that they've mm. got, right? That's it. There's, it is different if they then upload that to Getty or wherever and sell that image. There's, there is a, I think there's a slight line between those two. It's very thin, but I think there mm. is a line there between them. And I think then going ahead and profiting from it where the person in the image objects to being in that image mm, that is that does fall slightly more on the mm, is it really worth upsetting this person as much as we're upsetting them to stand by oh, the law you know yeah. what you're legally allowed to do um, I don't know. I tell you what, maybe that's a really because I'm relatively one. confused um, about this. So maybe this might be the one occasion where we should ask our audience to see what they think. So what do you think? Um, let us know. Uh, you know, get in touch. You can send us uh, send us a DM on Instagram, or you can send us an email at cameraShakePodcast at gmail dot com, um, or hit us up on Facebook. It'd be really interesting to see what you or leave a comment if you're on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave a comment in the in the comments below. Uh, it'd be really interesting to think uh, to see what people think about this you know was this photographer right to um to take this photo and then you know make it available for editorial use uh, on getty images because it is in the public interest um or was he wrong because uh, clearly 
a family member has objections and therefore uh, the photo should be removed. What do you think? Let us know. It'd be super interesting um, to to hear how, how you feel about this because, you know, it's not a clear, I don't think it's a clear cut black and white type of scenario. It's, it's quite, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's a insane. It's, it's fully gray. It's, 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 it's 50% gray. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a, I, I find that very difficult to, to answer. Um, you know, I could fall down on both sides here. And it all, I think, I think it really comes down to the ultimate end use of that image. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like many things, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, the use of it, that's, that's the determining factor. Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, this is one of those, you know, occasionally you come across a story like this where you think like, hey, you know, I really don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Like, you know, there's no clear cut answer. Mm. Um, so, you know, again, it'd be super interesting to hear from you out there to see what you think. Um, Definitely. Now, that being said, let me just say this again. You know, if you are in Birmingham at the photo, uh, photography show on the 19th or the 20th of September, come and hit us up there. I'll be great to see you there. Um, I think we've pretty much come to the end of this week's episode. So just to clarify that in, in this country, that's uh, Birmingham. What did Not I say? Birmingham. <laughs> no, Birmingham. 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 How do you say Birmingham? Is it Bir Birmingham? Birmingham. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Midlands folk. Well, so, you know, if you want to meet us at the Birmingham Photography Show. <laughs> On the 19th and 20th of September, uh, come and hit us up there. Uh, we'll be lurking about somewhere. Amazing. Uh, so yeah, it'd be super awesome to see you there. Uh, again, you know, if you are uh, listening to the audio version of this podcast, uh, come and see us in full Technicolor over at uh, on YouTube. And, uh, you know, uh, drop us a like, uh, hit the subscribe button, uh, ring the bell, all of that good stuff. That would really help us out. And... Um, we will see you again in a week's time. And we have some really interesting, very cool guests coming up over the next few yes, weeks. We so. do.